Take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to talk about hypocrisy. The Bible has a lot to say about hypocrisy. Okay, Matthew 6, look in verse 1. It says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. How about that? That's a big record, isn't it? I thought it was interesting. It started off in Matthew 1 saying, be careful, be careful. I think this indicates that for us human beings, there's always the temptation to look good in front of your peers, right? To show off, to say, look at me. We've brought this term up before in fellowship. We call it virtue signaling, virtue signaling. Look at me. Look at how virtuous I am. Another way to refer to it is moral grandstanding. I kind of like that, moral grandstanding. It It's all wrapped up with conceit and, you know, bragging, boasting, Look at me. So in both these cases, whether in praying or almsgiving, Jesus calls it hypocrisy, and he promises that the person who's showing off before other people will get their reward. Now, what would that be? Well, that would be the temporary praise of men. Yeah. So somebody says, wow, you're awesome. That's great. And then it's done. That was your reward. No eternal rewards. You just get that temporary reward of man. It's the temporary acknowledgement of human beings. There's nothing eternal about them. And I like that phrase where it says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. There's a purposefulness in the things that we do for God. And we have to deliberately deny it to other people. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, I get up and I teach every Sunday morning. Of course, you see me teaching a fellowship. It all has to do with the motivation. Do I get up here every Sunday morning because I want you all to sit around and ooh and ah about my teaching? If that's the purpose of my teaching, I'm not going to get too many rewards, am I? When I come up and when I teach fellowship, it's got to be for the Lord. So there's got to be a deliberateness about it. So today we're going to be talking about hypocrisy. Or if you want to look at it from a positive point of view, we're going to be talking about consistency. So we're looking uh, in our lives as Christians, we want to develop a godly consistency. And if you think about it, consistency and hypocrisy are opposites, right? They're, they're opposites. Look in verse 16 of Matthew 6. It says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, 
for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. You get this image. If you've got kids, you know, and your kids are trying to let you know that they don't feel well, and there's nothing wrong with them, but they're trying to let you know, and they're like, oh, ooh. Well, that's what he's talking about, that you have these hypocrites, you know, they're they're in a day of fast, and they go around, and they're like, oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. Ah, oh, it's arduous, but I'm doing it. Look at how virtuous I am, right? He says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I think this is so important, so important. I've caught myself at times, you know, I've I'll stay up late and I'll work late and then I want to let everybody know the next day. But anything for the job, you know. And uh but you know, I, I think we we all tend to fall into that. I think the the more mature we become, people don't need to know everything, right? That's between you and God. Go to Galatians chapter one. Galatians one. Look in verse ten. Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That our lives are not about pleasing other people or standing approved before other people. In fact, this is a crucial part of being a disciple of Christ. Because if you are standing approved before other people, you can't be a servant of Christ. You just cannot. You don't have to turn there, but in John 12, Jesus is quoting Isaiah and he says, Quote, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they could not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise from God. How about that? So these men were fearful because they were hypocrites, right? Because they thought that the praise of men was more important than the praise of God. Go back to Matthew 6 and in verse 19, Matthew 6:19, It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, hypocrisy, if you allow hypocrisy in your life, it's corrupting. It's a corrupting influence. Your treasures are the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And we've got to deliberately cut that out of our lives. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a big verse. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be. If you're all about what other people think about you and not about what your heavenly father thinks about you, you're you're going to live a shallow life. It's all about asking ourselves, why do we do what we do? Why do I do what I do? It's a personal examination, and we all have to make it. And periodically, we have to stop and say, why am I doing this? 
Look in Matthew 15. Look in verse 1. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Does everybody understand what that means? That means instead of this guy helping his parents like he should in his honor to his parents, he says, well, I'm not going to help you, but that's your tithe. That's your devotion to God. We'll just call it that, right? You know, the fact that you have to do the work that I would do as helping you, well, well, that that's just your tithe, right? You know, it's and it's a little hypocritical. It says, thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied of you. This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. I was thinking about this, that hypocrisy is the hallmark of all false religion. It is a hallmark of it. Here he's talking about people who draw near to God in speech, but their hearts remain separated from God. You think about how all the ink in the Old Testament that is devoted to this very problem. Go to Isaiah chapter 1 and look in verse 13. God confronts the Jews. He says, stop bringing your meaningless offerings Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like like wool. If you are willing and obedient, there's the key right there, willingness and obedience. You will eat the best from the land, but if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And you see this this theme throughout the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament Jews who were more concerned in how it looked than how it was. Why? Because how it looks, that, that works for men. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. And you know, the one thing that's consistent is that, you know, when you look at history as a whole, the one consistency, the one constant is that human beings are pretty much the same from culture to culture, from time to time. They don't change much, right? So when we look at the Old Testament Jew, you can't get too conceited or too uppity and think, you know, the Old Testament Jew, oh, those guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. 
We have the same problems, don't we? Look in Romans chapter 2, look in verse 17. It says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You notice this whole, like, self-satisfaction here, this sense of religious superiority. My wife reminded me of the story about the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Pharisee and the man. They died, and the Pharisee says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinner, right? That I'm better than he is. This tax, this publican tax collector, right? I'm better than he is. I've, you know, I give my tithe every, every week. I do this, I do that. And the, the other man, the publican comes up and says, forgive me, father, I am a sinner. And the difference between the two, and Jesus said, God blessed the tax collector and not the Pharisee. Because there was a sense of humility there. But, you know, this sense of religious superiority, this self-satisfaction, that just has no place in a true disciple's life. We see this today not only in our churches, oftentimes, and behind our pulpits, but where else do we find it? In our schools, in our colleges, with the teachers and professors, right? This sense of moral superiority, that they have a certain degree that entitles them to teach our youth, and uh, they can say whatever they want because they are, you know, smarter and better than the rest of us. And you dare not disagree with them. In verse 21, it says, You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's quite a verse right there if you think about it. That here you're supposed to be the, you know, the moral superior and you're supposed to be teaching all these great truths, and yet you're doing the the very things that you're teaching against. And then it goes further to say that God's name is blasphemed by your hypocrisy. And how many times do we see this, where, you know, a great name in the church all of a sudden falls into disrepute? Because all along they've been, you know, they preach one thing, but they do another. And it's important that our lives have moral consistency, that we say what we do and we do what we say, right? Verse 25, circumcision has value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. So what? what's this idea that Paul is talking about, this circumcision? To the Jew, circumcision is supposed to represent the outward physical mark of one's devotion and fidelity to God, right? He's saying your outward circumcision only makes sense if you are inwardly devoted and loyal. But if you are not, you are no better than the unbeliever that you despise because the Jews despise the Gentiles, right? That's quite a message right there. Verse 26 If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Right? And that was a, uh, you know, this, this 
opening part of Romans, the purpose of it is to confront this sense of religious superiority that was found in the Jews back then, but we find it all over the place now, right? That the idea here is, is that you think you're so superior. How about this unbeliever? If he does the law and you don't, shouldn't he be considered circumcised, right? Verse 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have written, you have the written code and circumcision, are a law breaker. Now listen to this, verse 28. A man is not a Jew, or you substitute in there, a man is not a disciple, if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man who is a disciple, if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Now, how about that? Isn't that great? That we seek God's approval, that I look to God to give the thumbs up or thumbs down on my behavior, right? I'm not looking to men. Stephen Charnock had a quote that I liked. He said, without the heart, it is not worship. It is merely stage play. Acting the part without being the person is hypocrisy. We may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship God if we lack sincerity. You know, we used to use that word sincerity in an old ministry. Well, sincerity is no guarantee for truth, you know. Come on. Sincerity is absolutely necessary in the walk, isn't it? Sincerity is the opposite of hypocrisy, which is insincerity. Frederick William Robinson, Robertson said, It is perilous to separate thinking rightly from acting rightly. He is already half false, who speculates on truth, but does not do it. The penalty paid him by, paid, paid by him who speculates on truth without doing it is that by degrees, the very truth he holds becomes a falsehood. In other words, if you allow hypocrisy into your life, if it's okay for you to say one thing, but do another, or think another, that slowly but surely you're going to lose the truth within you. Hypocrisy is endemic to the flawed character of fallen man. We're all hypocrites in one way or another, aren't we? If you just got honest with yourselves. We are works in progress. One of the great work of the Holy Spirit is to remove those inconsistencies from your life, to remove those hypocrisies. We all have them. I think that's something that we need to, you know, just honestly put on the table. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm going to be a hypocrite until Jesus Christ comes back. But I'm not going to be a knowing hypocrite. There are going to be inconsistencies in my life. And as the Holy Spirit puts its finger on it and says, you have a hypocrisy there, I need to eliminate it from my life, right? We all do. Go to James chapter 3, James 3. You know, part of this whole virtue signaling thing is everybody wants to walk around and receive the praise of men because of how deeply wise and virtuous they are. And it, you know, it might impress the carnal man, but it shouldn't impress any of us. I mean, when you come to the fountainhead of truth, all this other stuff ought to be, you know, kind of ridiculous to us. uh, James chapter 3, look in verse 13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I love that. 
don't you? Humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envying and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote-unquote wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Pretty clear, huh? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's that's amazing. That's breathtaking, isn't it? But the wisdom that comes from heaven, in contrast, is first first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere. Now, the King James I like better for this verse. I'm going to read it to you. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated there means it's reasonable. It's reasonable. Full of mercy and good fruits. Now listen to this. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, God's wisdom is impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So mankind's wisdom, on the other hand, is full of partiality and full of hypocrisy. I can't tell you how infuriated I get when I turn on the TV set and I look at our esteemed lawmakers, who I know said something one year, last year, and this year are completely contradicting themselves as if they never said it at all. They've evolved, that's right. They don't even feel like they have to give you a word of explanation for their inconsistency. It's just infuriating to me. We have two types of wisdom in this world, man's wisdom, God's wisdom. The first produces envy and selfish ambition, where you will find disorder and every evil practice. It's partial and it's hypocritical. Um, We should insist on God's wisdom. We should insist on it. And we should stand up and call out the hypocrisy. That's what we've been called to do. When we see inconsistencies and out and out hypocrisies, we ought to call them out. And that's why it's so important for the church to stay out of the politics. Because man's politics, man's wisdom is corrupting. It corrupts you. And you are not going to be able to see the hypocrisies when they come. And your job is to speak up and call them out. Does it make sense to everybody? Go to Romans chapter 7. Now, as I said before, we all have hypocrisy to one extent of or another. Uh, the idea here is to keep the hypocrisy to a minimum. Now, why do we have hypocrisy? Well... Let me read this to you. So Romans chapter 7, look in verse 18. This is Paul speaking. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. That's a little hypocritical, isn't it? A little inconsistent. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but what? It is the sin living in me that does it. And this is a very definition of hypocrisy, right? Doing what you would not want to do. And this is the ongoing frustration of the child of God, right? That we have two natures, two natures that are in conflict. We have the old nature, the nature of Adam, which is the fallen nature, and then we have the new nature of Christ, and they are in conflict with one another. Our desire is to do what the Spirit directs, but our sinful nature 
oftentimes gets in the way, doesn't it? It's part of our fallen nature. It's baked in. Look in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body or from the body of this death? Can anybody identify with that? I mean, how frustrating is it that you know the right thing to do, but you keep going down the wrong road? You keep you keep doing the wrong thing, and it's that's kind of the part of it. You look at it, the unbeliever, he doesn't have two natures. He's got one nature, and he does it proudly. But we have that struggle between the two natures. So th- that's important that we recognize that when we sin, it's important for us to do what? Repent. Repent. What does repent mean? That when we screw up, we change. Change should be part of a, a big part of our life. What does it say in uh, Proverbs Reproofs of instruction are a way of life. It's a way of life. Look in verse 25. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the carnal nature, the flesh, the law of sin. So, our choice, right? Our choice. Now, I was thinking about something this morning. I used to be a big fan of Ralph Waldo Emerson, and uh, especially his essay on self-reliance. And he said something that was interesting. He said, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, adored by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his shadow on the wall. Speak what you think now in hard words, and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it contradict everything you said today. Ah, so you shall sure to be misunderstood. Is it so bad then to be misunderstood? To be great is to be misunderstood. Does everybody understand that? A foolish consistency. Now, what did he mean by a foolish consistency? That means that I'm running around trying to manage my my message, right? I got to make sure my message yesterday fits with my message today, which fits with my message tomorrow, that I kind of become dogmatic, don't I? And he says, we just can't afford to be that way. Now, of course, he was talking in a philosophical sense, but I think of it spiritually, that I speak today's message as the Lord directs. And I speak tomorrow's message as the Lord directs, even though it might contradict what I said today. Now, that seems a little non-intuitive, right? But we've got to be bold in our message, and we've got to be obedient to God. And and I speak today's message boldly. Anyway, the point being is that we we need to keep our nature simple. You know, it's the politician who tries to make his message consistent. You know, he worries about what he said yesterday, today, tomorrow. We don't. We just speak the truth. We speak the truth. We keep our nature simple. It's a simple nature. How do you guard against hypocrisy? By trying not to be hypocritical? No. You guard against hypocrisy by keeping your nature simple. That I am obeying my master today and speaking his message today. And tomorrow, I speak the message tomorrow. Right? Does that make sense to everybody? We need to live lives of simplicity and integrity. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. See, it's the complicated soul that tends to be the hypocritical soul. I have these conversations with people, and sometimes people are so nuanced on everything that everything is a caveat. Everything is an exception to the rule. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and look in verse 12. It says, Now, 
This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to the worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Now, I like King James much better on this verse. King uh, King James has it written, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. So think about that. What is the antidote to hypocrisy, simplicity, and godly sincerity? That's the answer to it. When I was a teenager, I used to listen to Leonard Skinner. Does everybody know the, the, the song Simple Man? It's one of my favorites. It's a, uh, it's a song about a mother talking to her son. Son's about ready to go off on his life and his mother's having a, a mother to son talk and she's, uh, and she's talking with him and, and the chorus goes, be a simple kind of man. Oh, be something you love and understand. Baby, be a simple kind of man. Oh, won't you do this for me if you can? I love that. Right? Be a simple kind of man. Now that doesn't mean that you're stupid or you're uninformed. Right? It means that your character is simple. It's a simple character. The mocker might call you simplistic or call you a simpleton, but godly sincerity is anything but that. Simplicity is profound, that you have a simple nature, and because you have a simple nature, an uncomplicated nature, you are able to grasp great truth. I thought about the rule of thumb that you should always think about. Does your Do your values change based on the person who happens to be sitting in front of you during a conversation? Do your values change? They shouldn't. You think about Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ's values change? Now, of course, the Bible talks about Paul. He was all things to all men that he might by all means save some. But his values didn't change. Just perhaps the way that he dealt with one person was different than he dealt with another, but his values were consistent, right? And we need to think about that. Our values shouldn't waffle depending on who the person sitting in front of us is. You know, I think about, you know, people who, you know, love to praise Jesus when they're hanging out with church people, but when they go out in the world, they actually find themselves a little ashamed of the gospel, right? Well, that shouldn't be the case for us. And if it is the case for you, you got a little bit of hypocrisy going on there. I work in business, and we see it in government, you know, people who are all about status. You know, people climbing to the top, and they're either kissing up or punching down, you know. We can't be those people. We have to be people of simplicity and godly sincerity. Go to Luke chapter 9, Luke 9. Be a simple kind of man or woman. Look in verse 23. It says, if any man come to me, Jesus is saying this, if any man come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, daily and follow me. We avoid hypocrisy by living each day and each moment of each day in simple obedience to our master. In the uh, second to last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he is considering, where he had considered the book of Ecclesiastes, all the different paths that one might take in order to find fulfillment, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12:13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Simple, right? It's our simplicity that gives us spiritual consistency and continuity. Your life will make sense. It will make sense. 
But if you think that you have to walk around impressing mankind with how deeply profound and philosophical and nuanced, your life's going to be a joke. You're going to be as inconsistent as they come. Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, look in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you shall not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, with each other, so that you do not do what you want. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Like I said before, the unbeliever will never understand this. The conflict that rages in the heart of a, of a believer. But we have consistently got to choose to walk by the Spirit. I brought this up before, the analogy of the two wolves. It was a story that was popularized by Billy Graham in his book, The Holy Spirit, Activating God's Power in Your Life. And it goes this way. It says, an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, hypocrisy, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, humility, kindness, consistency, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you, grandson, and inside every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. <laughs> the one you feed. I just love that. I love that. That's why I keep bringing it up in fellowship, because it's such a meaningful proverb, isn't it? Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. The one you feed. Do you want consistency and do you want uh, continuity in your life? Well, you have to feed one nature. If you feed, try to feed both natures, you are going to be everything but consistent and and uh, non-hypocritical. Look in Hebrews 4, look in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So if you think about it, if a person spends a copious amount of time in God's word, they will change effortlessly and take on a new simplicity and integrity. It just comes with the environment, right? You're spending a lot of time in God's word. You're endeavoring to walk it out every day in your life. You'll take on this simplicity and this integrity. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So that's the one thing that truly separates, I believe, you know, besides the new birth and the Holy Spirit within, that separates the, the believer from the person of the world is that we know that God sees all, right? And if we're wise, we've stopped hiding. We know that everything we say, everything we do, everything that we think is under the loving but watchful eyes of our Heavenly Father. So why would we try to hide from him? Why would we try to maintain these inconsistencies? If you think about it, hypocrisies that keep popping up in people's lives, big hypocrisies, generally come from people who are trying to hide from God. There's no hiding from God. I, I, uh, 
wanted to read this quote by Tozer. It says, I am afraid for the pastor, that is another man, when he enters the pulpit from what he was before. Reverend, you should never think a thought or do a deed or be caught in any situation that you couldn't carry into the pulpit with you without embarrassment. You should never have to be a different man or get a new voice or a new sense of solemnity when you enter the pulpit. You should be able to enter the pulpit with the same spirit and the same sense of reverence that you had before when you were talking to someone about the common affairs of life. Isn't that awesome? And I think that doesn't just apply to the minister. That applies to all of us, right? It certainly does. And uh, in conclusion, I wanted to uh, read this. Turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2. Having a, a consistent, a godly consistent life, a godly consistent life. First Thessalonians 2, it says in verse 1, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or from impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, how holy, righteously, and blamelessly we were among you who believed. Isn't that beautiful? So that was Paul's heart towards ministry, that he was, you know, what you see is what you get. There aren't any hidden motives hidden plans, that he was a man who was without hypocrisy. So anyway, I want you all to give that some thought this week. And I think it's a good reminder for us that we want to we want to live above the hypocrisy of this world and be truthful. OK, so Heavenly Father, we thank you for this and we thank you, Father, for just a blessed week. Thank you, Father, for taking care of all our family and loved ones and watching over us. With your goodness, in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. We'll take your turn.